Welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 32. I'm Kay, here with my co-host Taz. Hello. Today we'll be discussing the 10th episode of season 2 called My Three Crichtons. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of My Three Crichtons. A swirly ball of light encases John and spits out three versions of him. A caveman, a super smart future version, and our John. As the crew struggles to deal with with the ball trying to drag them all back into a different dimension, they have to decide which Crichton will go back in order to save the ship and crew. Ah, the episode of the ghosts of Crichton, past, present, and future, a trope of variations on a person that highlight the conflict between brains over emotions. Woohoo! <laughs> so on the one, <laughs> sorry. So on the one hand, you have Caveman Crichton, who comes out of the sphere first and represents our John's emotional side. And then you have our John come out as normal as he always is, embodying both ends. And then at the other end, you have super smart future Crichton who has no hair. And basically, you can see his brain pushing out of his skull. It's kind of gross, mm-hmm. actually, representing the intellect and logic. And the questions asked by this episode are, which are the better traits? And I'm not sure this episode does a really great job of that, actually. <laughs> Yeah, I was kind of like, when you said that, I was like, oh, is that what the question was? Yeah. (laughs) This isn't an episode that's like a zero for me, but I mean, to jump to the what would you give this episode portion? I don't know. This is on the very, very low end for me. Yeah, I, and I think that be, because it has at least a, at least a couple of characters acting just completely out of character. Yeah, and I remember not particularly caring for this episode the first time around, and and I had a similar reaction to it this time around. So kind of to start out with just kind of the, the basic plot, basically what you said in the summary, they have to make this choice about which one's going to go back into the sphere to save them. And so you have super smart Crichton immediately saying, oh, of course, it's going to be the caveman. And John being torn about it and the caveman being basically disregarded by everybody. And I don't know. It's just super smart. Crichton's an asshole and I really don't like him. And I think this just sours the entire thing. It's just like, ugh. Well, and and especially because, okay, so the premise, I mean, given that the first one that comes out is like a caveman, you're like, the premise is clearly that this is like, oh, this is what the future of humanity will look like, cold and incredibly logical, like Vulcans, but not as cool. And then at the same time, I'm kind of like, no, but that's not how evolution works. No, it's not like you could look (laughs) at our DNA right now and be like, oh, in the future, you will have three arms. Right. I'm like, no, like, that's not how evolution works. And actually, that is kind of like almost the end of the episode. The Most of the episode is actually just con- concerned with like this kind of internal John struggle. And ironically, and this is what's so weird about Farscape, is that it can make a 40-minute episode feel like a two-hour movie in terms of like all the stuff that it packs in. You, you know, episode, yeah. funny episodes like the last one we had out of their minds, but also like really solid ones like Nerve and The Hidden Memory. Yeah. And then it has episodes like this where like literally the episode was over and I was like, what? That was it? That felt like 10 minutes. <laughs> that felt like they could have done the entire episode in 10 minutes. Yeah. Like I said, a lot of the interior going on here is John stuff. And so John gets, you know, encased by this light 
John and Caveman John are spit out. And I want to play the quote. I want to play John's reaction immediately after he gets spit out and Dargo goes to chase down the creature because they don't know that it's John yet at this point. I I want you to listen to his immediate reaction because this reaction feels like something from much earlier in the season. That was... uh, John, where have you cut yourself? I'm cut. I'm cut. You're not cut. No, no, I'm not cut. It was the creature. (sighs) The creature. You weren't the only thing to come out of that sphere. Dargo's tracking it down now. Oh, God, another critter. Right, I I better go help him. John, you're in no condition. No, no, I'm okay. I just need a gun. Frel, me? What happened to you? Oh, that's a $64,000 questionnaire, and you got a gun. John, please. No, I'm okay. I just need to go help find the creature. You all right? Okay. Did he really say creature? What? (laughs) That was also the sound of John falling on his face, because he's been chewed up and spat out so he's not in good physical shape at the moment Mm -hmm. yeah and he's like shivering and actually one of the physical aspects of this that i really liked was when zan and shiana come in and they're like what happened aaron's literally like hugging him for warmth Mm -hmm. you know from the back she's got like both arms around him and it's clearly not a comfort thing it it just looks like a first aid thing like he's shivering and but yeah if you if you listen you heard that his immediate reaction was i need a gun yeah I need to go hunt down this creature. We're going to immediately assume this creature is bad and out to get us. And it kind of ties back in to his reactions at the beginning of the season with Venus Mortis and taking the stone where his immediate reaction is, let's draw the weapons, let's circle the wagons, and let's go hunt this thing and protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. Or even something like picture, if you will, yeah, where it's again his him kind of going back to that mentality, which is interesting because I think PTSD isn't something that like one and done kind of thing. No. And John is clearly suffering from from PTSD and probably some sort of brain trauma. So him reacting to like another physical assault on himself and another violation by going back to that space of need to protect, need to kill, need to have a gun is completely makes sense. It does. It does. And I really like how you phrase that as this a- another violation of him because he's the only one that's targeted by this fear. The sphere starts out like the size of a of a squishy ball that you could hold in your hand and goes looks at Zan and goes looks at Chiana and all the others but he's the only one that hasn't seen before and so that's the reason he's picked and he's just feeling picked on because of it you know mm-hmm. and like he's being targeted mm-hmm. he's, he's so done with it and you could hear that when he first meets the caveman John so Chiana is the one that finds him hiding out and first one to make contact and the caveman john has trouble trouble speaking she brings him to zan's apothecary where she and aaron are taking care of john here's how that conversation goes and you can really hear how just done john is with everything did you what right all right who are you and what do you want Yeah, that's a superb disguise. It's fooling everybody. Who are you? God. Oh, God, I love this. Okay, you want to you want to stick with that routine? You want to be the next to mess with me? Well, get in line. No, Crichton. Gianna, I'm sick of it. It's bad enough being spat out of some green blob. Now I got Quasimodo here saying he's me. Me? <laughs> 
what, 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 what do you want? You, you tell me. Tell me what you want, and maybe I can get it for you. Oh, don't touch me. So it quickly turns physical. Like, he's baiting the caveman. He's being super aggressive and basically verbally pushing back before anything can really be opened up and discussed. And you can hear his frustration in his voice. Mm -hmm. I think that that's also an interesting cue because this is the first time that John has been kind of physically assaulted and mentally assaulted the same way he was by Scorpius or in a way that was, you know, similar. And I I think that his kind of just like doneness it really makes it feel like maybe the past few episodes where we've seen him be like a lot more stable was much more like a veneer. And then this is that veneer being cracked Mm -hmm. and cracking is what it feels like. Yeah. Because I think in season one, if this had happened, it would have been much more like an, Oh, this is interesting. Let's discover it. Let's figure out what's going on. And here he immediately goes to who are you? Why are you doing this to me? Yeah. Yeah, definitely feeling attacked as opposed to having any kind of space that he can absorb it you know it's another shock mm-hmm. to a system that he just cannot absorb so john is in this is really defensive really reactive state when the caveman comes out and then we have smart john come out and smart john oh my god i really don't like him He's the worst. Such a jerk. He's such a jerk. Anyway, um, Smart John comes out, and immediately they're all suspicious. Aaron pulls a gun on on him. They lock him up, and what happens then is the, the green ball thing starts to pulse, and they figure out it's trying to take him out into another dimension, and they have to counteract it somehow. So Smart John gets to the conclusion first. Regular John gets to it shortly thereafter but that's basically how he gets them to trust him and let him out is hey i've got a solution it's the same solution john was coming up with so they're using the defense screen to counteract the interdimensional pull and at the same time there's this message that comes through and the message eventually gets filtered out and filtered down and it basically says to the johns that one of you has to come back with us because we are collecting samples and you are our biological samples and we need one of you. Otherwise, we're going to just pull the whole ship. So now it's a choice between one of the Johns being sacrificed or all of Moya and all her crew being sacrificed. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the moral dilemma of the episode comes up. And Smart John is immediately like, oh, foregone conclusion is going to be Caveman John. We're going to we're going to give him up. And regular John, though, is not on board with this plan. So they actually have an argument about it because regular John doesn't like smart John either. He feels threatened by this other presence that is telling him what to do and that he's, you know, wrong about everything because he's clearly not as smart as smart John. Sounds like a Terry Pratchett name. But I'm going to play the the argument they have about sacrificing the caveman John because there's a little bit of it that I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Enough! I don't care what this thing does. All I know is that I want to get rid of it. Understandable. And unfortunately, we have an answer. We return the most expendable one of us. What? I don't think so. Oh, come on. 
Are you going to say he's wrong? Let's just give the sphere the hairy bastard and get it the frell out of here. Well, not quite as I would have phrased it, Rigel, but... We're getting way ahead of ourselves here, guys. Mm. Way ahead. What if we're wrong? Huh? We're going to chuck him to the sphere like he's nothing? We can't do that. I can. And what if there's another solution? One that we haven't found yet? John, you heard the message. Yes, I heard the message. But we just bought ourselves a couple of arms, and we're going to use it to find another solution. No, no, you're losing perspective. No, I am widening my perspective. That is what I do. That's what makes me me. Crichton, what's the alternative? I try and shoot at this thing again. <laughs> Aaron, that is a bad plan. You really don't want another me. John. What? Is... Dargo, you going to tell me I'm wrong? Since when did we take the easy way out? So what strikes me about that conversation between smart John, who, who kind of has a little bit of a southern accent going on, and regular John's reaction to it, is that smart John is all about, like, we know how this is going to go. We got to get rid of the expendable one. It's going to be caveman John. And John's mm -hmm. knee-jerk reaction to that is, no, we're not just going to write off this person without exploring the other possibilities. And the phrase that he uses is, is smart John says, you're losing his perspective. And John says he's widening his perspective. And what I think is really interesting about that is smart John has already made up his mind. He feels like he's so smart. He has all the answers. He's, of course, he is right. There's no point in looking for other answers. And mm -hmm. meanwhile, our regular John is like, no, this is a terrible solution. We should see if we can figure out another way of doing things. And as a commentary on brains, like smart people falling into, and this is the argument that I feel like the show is making, smart people falling into the already know the answer without looking for other answers. Once you've made up your mind and decided that you were the smartest person in the room, you close end up closing yourself off to any other possibilities. And it just really struck me because I think it's a commentary on how people function. Like we want to mm -hmm. be right. We want to be the smartest person in the room. We want to act like the smartest person in the room. But then you get entrenched in your ideas and your stated ideas. And you don't leave yourself open to other solutions. And that's kind of what I see playing out in this scene. Yeah. Well, actually, when you said it kind of as like a commentary on smart people, I think that almost makes me like the episode even less than I already did. <laughs> because that that is kind of like a stereotype that is not actually true. Yeah. And I think it can be kind of harmful. Yeah. Kind of the Forrest Gumpy, like, oh, you know, if you don't have a high IQ, you know, you're just really sweet and loving and, you know so emotional and and then and that's supposed to be like the caveman versus you know like the super smart john super smart future john who is cold and already knows the outcome so why would he get emotionally involved in it and i don't know it's kind of a kind of gross yeah i had a very similar reaction to that too yeah because of the stereotype thing you mentioned i kind of want to go back for a second i want to talk about the defense sure. screen because i think it's interesting that this is the past two episodes are really the first time they've used the defense screen pretty much <laughs> since they got it and it's kind of like and they got it way back in season one in pk tech girl which is like what the seventh episode yeah so they've had this thing just like lying around and i'm thinking about like all the times it would have been really nice to have a defense screen 
I think they used it once or twice since then, but I, I, it's escaping me. I don't know. Maybe they haven't. I feel like they have, but I would just want to say that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's, I don't know. Well, I feel like this is the first time in, what, 20 some odd episodes that the defense screen has actually been like plot related. And it's been really <laughs> important in the past two episodes. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought that was worth commenting on. No, it's, that's a good point. It's a good point. And my saying that I think they've used it is I can't actually remember if they have used it. So if it was, it was very much in passing. No, you know when they have. Okay, they used it at the very beginning of the season when the Xian, when the Shang. The Shang is P-take tech, PK Tech Yeah, girl. but when they come back at the very beginning of the season and they're firing on the ship and Chiana and Rigel are like, the, it's, the defense screen survives one hit. And Zan is, remember, at the very, very beginning. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When they, right. I remember now. Yeah. And mind the baby when they come back. Yeah. Anyway. And then the other thing is that during this whole thing, Aaron is watching Smart John and Chiana is watching Caveman John. And Caveman John is like, they're going to choose me. And Chiana's like, no, Crichton will find another way. And then it's, I don't know. It's I, I don't really care for Chiana's reaction because I feel like it's out of character for her to be super heavily. I, I don't think it's out of character for her to be invested in Caveman John because he is kind of an underdog in this situation. But then later, once they do decide to like put Caveman John through, she like lets him go. And she's like, and she's like, well, you guys didn't look hard enough for another way. And I'm like, Chiana, the ship is literally falling apart. They have 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, no, I could see that. But I could also... I think that's one of Chiana's paradoxes is that she does get super invested in certain things and people sometimes unexpectedly. And I think there's a later episode in season two where, where that happens um, and beware of dog a little bit. Yeah. I just, I guess it just feels weird to me that like on the heels of out of their minds where she's literally like, let's jump ship. You know, yeah. and they're in like much less dire straits in Out of Their Minds than they are in this episode. And then in this episode, she's just kind of like, whatever, I'm going to let the solution go. That's cool. And it's mostly <laughs> because she dislikes Smart John is actually, I think, literally the reason. Yeah. And, you know, that's a pretty good motivator, though. I mean, what's what's better to do with somebody you hate than to stick it to them and ruin their reason for ruin their solution to the problem? Yeah. Also, I don't know. Do you think it makes sense that John so quickly goes from like seeing the caveman as just another violation of himself to like wanting to defend the caveman so badly that he is like, let's take two arms to figure this out? I think it's the difference of confronting somebody who is threatening to hurt you as opposed to someone that you then have to kill. Because I think he is still not comfortable with killing people and this would be a cold-blooded kind of thing we're going to take him we're going to shove him we to this unknown fate and i think because the caveman john is someone he sees as like a dog you know like Mm. there's that dismissiveness it's just an animal it's that's why he's expendable is because he's uh he's not as evolved or developed and so there's this pity going on Mm mm-hmm of like, oh, we're just going to throw the dog through the window to make this work. 
can't do that. Everyone cares if the dog dies in the movie, you know? Yeah. It feels like that kind of kind of thing going on. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. And maybe him kind of seeing himself in the caveman in the sense that, like, the universe kind of buffers him from thing to thing. And, like, he feels like he's always the one that gets the short end of the stick kind of thing. Yeah. And so, like, in that sense, he's very similar to the caveman. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is just such a... I don't know. This is a weak episode, too. So there's a, a certain amount of hand-waving, I feel like, with some of the character motivations. Yeah. But I do also... I do think that, you know how you said, Shiana reacting to act in opposition to Smart John. I think that's might be part of the motivation, too. Smart John says, oh, let's just do this thing without thinking about it. And I think John is, in, fa- in part, reacting against, you know, that immediate dismissiveness of the other of the other caveman john and there's a little bit of a knee jerk oh you said this well i'm gonna disagree with you because i don't like you going on yeah and actually smart john's reaction has other characters unhappy with him and i want to play a zan quote because zan and john have literally been in each other's minds so i think they do have a very tight relationship even though we haven't really seen a lot of it in the past few episodes so when Zan is talking to Smart John, it kind of means something. It's amazing, Zan, what's happened to me. Virtually without even trying, I'm beginning to understand concepts that I've been thinking about for months, years. You may find a solution here if you try. No, this is over. We know what the outcome will be. I'm talking about the future, about what's possible. You're just going to give up. I'm going to face reality. This is reality. No, this is futile. You are not the John Crichton I know. Zan, look at what's happened to me. How could I be? I wonder if you can also see what you have lost. Your logic may be firm, but it is cold. But correct. When all the options have been exhausted, the John Crichton you know will reach the same conclusion. I get there quicker. That's the only difference. And I know that you'll get there too. Ugh, he's so slimy and condescending. I hate him. (laughs) What I really love about this, and I think this is what you were getting at, is Zan saying, there's so much that you've lost with becoming this cold and calculating creature. That is all about the logic and uh, the cold calculation. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. I think one reason I detest him so much is is the stereotype of that. Like, logic and reason cannot exist. The implication with him, anyways, logic and reason cannot exist with emotion, where I think that is completely untrue and for humans. Mm-hmm. Well, and also, okay, so if we kind of think about it as, like, um, analogous to, like, the Vulcan, right? Like, so you know, future John becomes like a Vulcan. Our kind of prime example of Vulcan is Spock. And Spock clearly did have emotions. And also even other Vulcans, like, they would never have put it the way that he does. The other thing when I was listening to this that kind of annoyed me was that normally in any episode um, of Farscape, kind of, you have like the big problem, right? And they spend like the whole episode trying to solve the big problem. And then finally they have to make the hard decision, right? And then they make the hard decision and then something happens, right? This is like a pretty typical arc for any TV show. So like John being kind of like, well, we know what the end result's going to be. So let's just do it. 
kind of reduces actual TV episodes to just hand wringing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I kind of feel like, I mean, on the one hand, I get it because like you're, I mean, I don't, I don't know anybody that watches this and is like, oh, they're not going to choose the caveman. You know what I mean? <laughs> but at the same time, I'm kind of like, well, by reducing it to hand wringing, it, it essentially, it lets you see the strings that controls the puppet. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Because yeah. I mean, I'm pretty good. It drives my it drives my husband a little bit crazy. But like a lot of times, I can tell you the murderer, or I can tell you the plot twist. <laughs> you know, like five minutes into the episode, or whatever, or like as soon yeah. as I'm introduced to a new character, I'm like, oh, he's the murderer. Right. I think when you when you watch a lot of media, you tend to get pretty good at seeing those, seeing you know the signifiers. But at the same time, I don't know. I just find it kind of boring. I'm like, okay, well, thanks for thanks for showing me the magic trick, dude. Like, thanks for showing me what's behind the magic. Love it. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> well, with this episode, I get exactly what you're saying. With this episode, what I think is interesting, you can predict all of the turns because it's like, oh, they're gonna choose a caveman. Then the caveman's not there, so then they're gonna John's gonna turn on the smart John, which is what happens. And then the, the twist here is that that John lowers his weapon that he has on smart john and just decides to go take the self be the sacrifice himself and of course we know he's our main character we're not going to lose him so then the final twist is the caveman comes and walks to his death and takes smart john with him or walks into the interdimensional portal as it were same difference in this case so it, it is fairly predictable and it does try to get at this moral conundrum of who do you choose and can John live with himself if he sacrifices the caveman John and he finds that he can't. And that's why he's the one who's going to go and sacrifice himself as opposed to the other way around. It just feels very rote. And I think that's kind of what you were saying. It's just, I don't know. There's something about it that just doesn't have the magic spark that makes that makes it all really meaty and juicy. And I think maybe part of that is because we're just dealing with the Johns basically. Mm-hmm. And so you don't actually have a lot of the tension or the character stuff happening between John and anyone else mm-hmm. with our other crew members. So, cause as you heard in the previous quote that we played, Dargo and Rigel and Aaron are like, okay, great solution. Let's go do it. But you don't have the conversation back and forth really between any of the rest of them with the exception of one character. And we'll play that next that really delves into what that would mean for John to sacrifice himself. Mm-hmm. And the one character that conversation does happen with is Pilot. And uh, so John is talking to Pilot about, about this whole problem. We have to try, Pilot. With all respect, I've analyzed that data four times. I doubt any new insights will be gained. Pilot, I am not going to let Moya get sucked into the sphere. Neither am I. Crichton. I should tell you, Moya would never expect an innocent being to die for her sake. She will understand if you choose to leave. We're not going to do that. I know, but while I would never want my fate to be different to Moya's, I do not share her acceptance of this situation. If we have the solution, then I... It's what I am trying to find, Pilot, and I am not going to stop until I have to. Do you understand that? I understand. Good. So there, the only kind of tension we get between the crewmates, which is honestly what makes Farscape spark the way it does, is between John and Pilot. And that's not to say it's a bad conversation or or I don't like it, but I feel like 
the episode as a whole would have been better served by having more of those discussions and moving a progression along with the other characters as well, as opposed to just focusing on the Johns. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree that kind of that kind of sparky conversation is really the only one that we get to have because it is so much of John fighting with his overly intelligent side and his emotional side and whatever. And then the other thing is even the conversations that John is having with himself, I think because they just didn't want to spend too much of the budget on this episode, they're having them long distance. So it's literally not even John talking to himself. It's John talking to a calm, you know, and then on the other end is another John on the calm. I, at first I was like, okay, that makes sense because they're both doing these separate things. But then like the longer it passed, I'm like, why aren't they in the same room to have this conversation? They're not doing anything. There's no reason that they shouldn't be in the same room when they are having this conversation. And it was just, I think, budgetary constraints, you know? Right. They didn't want to spend on the special effects to get the actor Ben Browder in a scene with himself. Yeah. And then there was like a lot of kind of awkward, weird CGI in this episode too. Like there's a lot of, there was like a lot of times when I was like, oh, they're on like a green screen and you can tell that's really weird for Farscape. <laughs> I mean, Farscape tends to do like sets a lot. Yeah. And there are a couple of weird camera angles with pilot too, that I noticed. Like this weird fisheye under pilot's Yeah, face. and it didn't seem to serve any purpose. Or at least I couldn't figure it out. I know. If anyone can figure it out, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess it kind of adds to the sense of panic. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, I mean, unnecessary. We understand the stakes. Right. Yeah. Everybody decides that they need to give up Caveman John. They go to find him. Chiana has let him out. And they're like, why did you do that, Chiana? And I still like, okay, I'll, I'll go with you that Chiana likes weird things. I mean, we saw how quickly she fell in with the taking the stone crowd. But at the same time, I'm like, Chiana and Rigel are our two most survivalist characters. And I have a hard time accepting that last episode, she was like, let's jump ship, even though I'm not even in my own body anymore. And then now she's like, cool, whatever. We have two minutes to save the ship, but I'm going to let the caveman go. I don't know. I well, I don't know what I could do, say to that because I don't really disagree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Other than she's having a very gut emotional reaction to saving this John. And she's trying to force the situation so that smart John has to die. That's, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what it was. Was that she was like, well, if caveman's gone, then smart John has to go. But smart John does not yeah. agree. So he yeah. and he steals Aaron's weapon by knocking her out. And then he goes after our John. And let's play that. Yep. Where is he? I let him go. I thought you would. John, you had your chance. And you blew it. You let your emotions get the better of you. You couldn't face reality. You want to face reality? Face reality? We were saving ourselves at someone else's expense. It wasn't worth saving. Come on, Johnny. Don't tell me you didn't think that. I can see a part of you still thinks it. Remember the way you first saw the ape man? How you could legitimize sacrificing him? Well, guess what? That's the way I see you. Smart John thinks that our John is a caveman, or as useful as a caveman. 
What I also think is kind of interesting about this conversation is Smart John brings up reality. And this come up a couple times throughout the episode where he's like, this is reality. We've got to deal with the facts. So these are the facts. And this is the solution. And I don't know, it just struck me kind of in context of some other things I've been reading lately about the nature of reality and how it's always filtered through our own experiences and that two people can experience the same reality differently and have very different views of it. And the danger comes when you dismiss the other person's experiences and how they are informed, how that informs how they see what's happening in the world around them. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like that's definitely what's happening here with Smart John dismissing any other possibilities, closing himself off to any kind of other solution. Whereas John is like, we have time to find another solution. We should use that time to find something and do something with it. And he does come up with another solution. His other solution is to sacrifice himself. Mm -hmm. One of the things we didn't get, but that I do kind of want to come to is that when smart John is trying to force our John to go in, John, you know, he's essentially like, well, with you here, I would always be an outsider. And then our John is kind of like, I mean, do you really think you're going to be anything but an outsider? And it's kind of like, well, better an outsider that's alive than one that's dead. (laughs) And, I think that this conversation of how John intellectually sees himself is actually really ties well with the ending. So Caveman John comes in and knocks out Smart John and kills him. And then Caveman John picks him up over his shoulders and is going to go into the ball. And I want to play the quote that he and R. John have because I think that when you compare it to how Smart John sees himself as an outsider... And then how caveman John kind of sees himself. I think it kind of says an interesting thing about John. Ben? Yeah. Good. Hey. Hey, you don't have to do that. One true. Not my place. Don't belong. Look, I don't. I don't really belong here either. Your time. Your place. My fate. I accept. I understand. I understand. Because if Smart John's reaction was, I'm going to do anything I can to survive, even if it means being an outsider. And then Caveman's John's reaction is, I accept my fate. This is not my time, not my place. I don't belong here. I don't know. I kind of, I think that explains kind of the, the gamut that is our John Crichton, is that he knows he doesn't belong in the Uncharted and he knows that he doesn't belong even on Moya. He belongs back on Earth. But at the same time, he's willing to do whatever it takes to survive. Yeah, no, that's a good thought. Because these two embodiments, Caveman John and Smart John, are supposed to be the two dichotomy ends spectrum something, something, something of our John. Like, they both come from him. And so both of them are very much a part of our John. He is the balance between them. And so I could definitely see that resonance that he has with, with the caveman John in this conversation. At the end, he says, I understand. I understand where you're coming from and that you're accepting this, that this is what you have to do because he was prepared to do it as well. Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah, this episode kind of closes out there. There's a conversation between John and Dargo later, and then John and Gianna, where essentially he says to Chi, like, oh, you understood that the caveman was the best part of us. And I'm like, what? No. What? <laughs> he was a caveman. Come on. Like, let's let's not do this. Okay. Yeah, it's his guilt talking more than anything else right there. Yeah. And so... Yeah, that's it. That's the episode. <laughs> yeah, and Chiana says, uh, I know you. So that's how she understood him. And that goes back to these two parts for him were always John. Yeah. Yeah, so what would you give this episode? Like a one, maybe like a point five. I don't know. I don't know why I just viscerally disliked <laughs> this episode so much. I think it's because I I like the movie multiplicity. Like, it's not a favorite of mine, and I probably haven't rewatched. I haven't rewatched it since the first time I watched it which was a decade ago but I feel like this episode was kind of trying to do that but it did it without any of the ethical soul searching really and then it just I, I don't know this episode was a mess from start to finish yeah well I think it attempted the ethical discussion but it fell flat there's just something about it that didn't work and I I don't know I'd give it probably a a two like, I didn't despise it the way I've despised some other episodes in season one, but one and a half, two, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I think the weird thing is that if you're watching for the first time, you can skip ahead like 15 seconds because it's not going to be a big spoiler, but, you know, it's like a little bit of something. Farscape later does, you know, multiple Johns and it does it in like such a good way. It does it in this like awesome genre smashing way. And... I don't know. I think maybe that's why looking back, I'm like, this was not a great episode. I didn't like it. Yeah. Yeah. That's my three Crichtons. Next week is, I think, part one of Look at the Princess. Is that right? Yeah. At least according to my DVDs, it is. <laughs> yeah. So very much looking forward to that. If you want to get in contact with us, we are Farscape Friday podcast at Tumblr at gmail.com. And on Dreamwith, we are Farscape Friday at Twitter. And we would love to hear from you. Like this episode, hate this episode, give us some feedback. All right. If you enjoy our podcast, please review us on iTunes. That's how other people can find us. And we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye.